Wouldn't it be neat to hear another law show from the same type of attorneys talking in the same monotone voice, saying the same old things over and over again? Uh, no. This is Legacy Lawyers. On Legacy Lawyers, you get two big things. Number one, we talk about the juicy details of cases that our law firm has dealt with. Of course, changing the names and details to protect client attorney privilege. And we dive into what options the clients had to choose from to fix their situation. Number two. Number two. You get educated about how the effects of not doing planning can be devastating. Let's get into it. This is Legacy Lawyers. And here are your hosts, Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Hi, everyone. What's going on? Let's get into it, Nathan. Thank you. You better start with the disclaimer on this one. I know, right? Because mm-hmm. this one's heavy duty. We are going to talk about one of my favorite planning strategies today, so it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. So just just to remind everyone listening, me and Nathan, we are attorneys, but we are not your attorneys, and we are just providing information for educational purposes only, and it is important that you seek legal advice for your specifics and not rely on the information in our podcast. And we are going to talk about some pretty specific legal strategies today. So um, that even applies more so today that um, these are very fact sensitive case by case um, scenarios and you need to um, have an, a, a qualified experienced attorney look at your particular circumstances before you take any action based on any information that you hear for educational purposes only today. So Nathan, have you ever heard of anyone getting sued for like something that seems ridiculous or surprising? I knew you were going to ask me that and I was going to try to like play dumb and say, no, but I mean, I've been (laughs) doing this so long that I wouldn't say I've heard it all because every time I say that, like something even more weird comes through the door. But yeah, people sue people a lot and not yeah. for good reason. Like I'll give you an example, not of an, I'll, I'll just give you an example of a conversation I had with somebody. And you've had this conversation too. It's like, well, can so and so sue me for this? And I'm like, yes. Like, it doesn't matter. Can so-and-so sue me for the most ridiculous things you've ever heard? And the answer is, yeah, anybody can sue anybody at any time for any reason. Mm-hmm. Whether, or not, whether or not it's a viable claim, whether or not they're going to prevail, whether or not it's so frivolous that the judge gets ticked off when he's throwing the case out and sanctions the party for abusing the court system for filing the lawsuit, all of those questions are completely separate from can someone sue me for x the answer is anybody can sue you at any time for any reason Mm -hmm. 
they can. Now, obviously, the frivolous lawsuits are annoying and bad for our society and everything. Um, well, and they don't often, they, they rarely succeed. They mostly get thrown out. But the other thing I tell my clients is that from a certain perspective, you lose the second the thing's filed in that now you have to defend it. Yeah, you still have to defend it. Maybe defending it is showing up one time in court with your attorney with a motion to dismiss and a request for sanctions because it's frivolous and that's it. But I mean, that could cost $10,000, $15,000 just to do that. Mm -hmm. It can. So I got a list, Nathan. I have a list of crazy lawsuits. Maybe the, like the one people are most familiar with is like the guy that, or the lady, I can't remember that sued McDonald's for the hot coffee. coffee. It's like, really? You sued because the coffee was hot. The coffee was too hot. Her name was Stella and she got 2.9 million. Is she on the list? She's on the list. Yeah. (laughs) She got 2.9 million. What about, wasn't there a lawsuit for where somebody sued Red Bull because they said it doesn't really give you wings and you can't fly when you drink Red Bull. Yeah, that's on the list too. Yeah. (laughs) 2016, settled out of court. So they actually got money for that. They they paid 640,000. If if you hear me (laughs) softly weeping in the background as you go through this list, because if you got a list that, and I just named three that I could think of off the top of my head or two. Um, so, so we say that people can sue for anything. And when you, when you hear some of those lawsuits, you're like, nah, no way they're going to win. That's, that's the reason people still bring frivolous lawsuits because sometimes they actually succeed. All right. Hit me with your best list. Okay. Um, Let's start with, I'm going to, I'm only going to do, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lawsuits against like corporations, right? Like McDonald's, Red Bull, we just did those. And those seem more obvious, right? Deep pockets. Hey, I can probably get some money to hopefully for them to just have this thing go away. So I'm going to focus on the ones that are not again. You got to do, there's one more that you, that I think is on that list that you mentioned this morning that you got to tell them about the Popeye's loss. Okay. I'll do that one. Okay. If, I, if I see a really good one, yeah, cause it, come on. corporation. I mean, if it's a really good one against the corporation, you got to give it to us. You got to get it. Okay. Don't hold back. Don't I, hold back on our listeners. I'm, I'm just going to start with the ones against people, right? Um, individuals. So if anyone's had a bad date, I got the solution for you. Okay. Oh now, if you're if you're married and everything, I got a different one you can sue for. But um, but for anyone single, has a bad date, this is the winner. So, man sues date for being on her phone. So, um, a 37 year old man in Austin, Texas, um, was so upset by his bad date, and he was so offended that his date spent the time they were at the movie watching. Um, Guardian of the Galaxy 2 text. Um, she was texting on her phone the whole time they were watching the movie. So, well, 
I, I have to, I have to put put myself out there and say I think that's a, that's just like I didn't know that we were talking an Avengers movie. I'd sue her too. Yeah, like I mean, if this was like a chick flick, you would be okay with the fact that someone yeah, was texting on the phone. But this is Guardians too. I mean, that's a legit yeah. movie. Yeah, she was texting Nathan. Uh, consequences there's consequences i hope the judgment was massive in that case so she agreed she agreed to pay him 17 dollars and 31 cents for her cinema ticket (laughs) if he would leave her alone Uh, soon after he withdrew the lawsuit (laughs) wow okay i think that's a that that's a like full claims or a full ask settlement, right? Like he got everything he was, maybe he was suing for punitives on top for like the emotional distress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have another bad date, just sue him. Well, I don't go on dates except with my wife. So, well, I'm, I'm talking to our, any oh, of our okay. single listeners out there. Okay. I mean, that's the solution, right? Just sue or, or, or don't go out with them again. That's another way to just, to address that just don't go on the date with the person mm-hmm. again but all right nathan um there's a spouse this is a spouse lawsuit. one but this this one would hurt feelings if some if you sued for this so husband sues wife over ugly baby <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah that would hurt your feelings right um sweetheart i've got to tell you that Look at this. Look at me. There's no way that I did that. That was all you. <laughs> Those are your jeans. They're not my jeans. Yeah. Ouch. That marriage has problems. Now this 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 lawsuit was not in the United States. Okay. So <laughs> um, this was in China. So this one's a, a little maybe maybe you couldn't do this in the United States. Yeah, maybe. But Nathan, he did win the case, and his wife did have to pay him $120,000. Oh, man. Well, that would definitely not happen in the United States. I pray it would not. So so you want want to know why he won? (laughs) Yes, I can't say. I don't, but I do. (laughs) Okay. So he first accused her of cheating on him. She's like, no, Mm. I did not cheat on you. And then he's like, how does this baby look like that? And then she Gosh, finally admitted. Poor kid later. Well, yeah, hopefully he is doesn't. Is the kid going to have a Hopefully he doesn't ever know about this. He's going to have. Intentional infliction of emotional distress later? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair lawsuit he should bring when he's 18 against his dad. Not Intentional alive. infliction of. So, okay, sorry, I keep interrupting, but there's so many questions I have about this. <laughs> So, so she didn't cheat on him. So why, where do you think the surprise came from? Any guesses? I have no idea. So no. she finally admitted that she had plastic surgeries before they had met. Um, several plastic uh, surgeries before they had uh, met. Gosh. So he, he was saying it was her genes. <laughs> so he was. He's like, you tricked me I, because of this. I now have an ugly baby. It's your fault. You should have Is that told a me. Question of fact for the jury whether the baby's ugly? Like I, 
I don't know. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, because there's certain, just for people to understand that, there's certain things that the court decides, there's certain things that finder of fact, which in, in a lot of cases the, is a jury, the jury has to decide. Those are called fact questions. <laughs> So my question there is like, did they do the the like Lion King presentation of the child to the jury, the Sabania, <laughs> and then they, and then the jury had to pass on the question of whether or not the child was ugly. <laughs> well, probably in the jury instructions, that was like the first thing they had to determine. Like threshold issue: is the child <laughs> ugly? They're like, yeah, that's. Let's just take a quick vote on that one right now. Anybody say he's 10. not ugly. Okay, good. Then we can move on. Baby's ugly. <laughs> so oh, what's the, rough, but how do they dude. calculate the $120,000 of damages? <laughs> We're going to have people offended from this. <laughs> they, I don't know. You got to laugh child. at this one, right? Okay. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Don't shoot the messengers. <laughs> we didn't file this lawsuit. So Gosh. I think that, I, the hundred twenty thousand. How do you think they came up with that? Did they just say, "Well, in order to get the baby to match mom's appearance, this is how much plastic surgery is going to cost"? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I got to have a lot of work done on this kid, and it's coming out of my pocket. It's sad. That's it, unbelievable. It's that's sad. Okay. There's, there's so many good ones. We might have to like we'll kind just, of share some of okay, these so over a couple just, episodes well, yeah, or throw a few out and I won't make any comments. Um, no, let, well, let's do, let's do one or one or two more and then we'll, we'll get to the, the crux of our planning strategy. Right. Okay. okay I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the, the last two, the one, the one I'm going to share because of the a level of cre creativity. Um, okay. So man sues himself for five million. Yeah. So if you're sitting out there thinking no one's gonna sue me, you better be worried. Are you gonna <laughs> sue yourself? Or you're bummed out. No one's suing me. I must not be important. Well, now you can sue yourself. So this gentleman, he's in prison, right? And he's like, oh, so he's got time on his hands. He's like, man, I gotta, I gotta come up with something to get some money here. Um, so he sued himself, claiming that he violated his religious beliefs when he got arrested. And since he has no income because he's in jail, he asked the state to pay the five million since he's a ward of the state. Wow, that is creative. You see that? You see that logic? Please tell me he didn't win. This is our first case where the it was dismissed by the judge. So good because then I'd have, I mean, I already have some pretty strong feelings about how my tax dollars are used. But <laughs> if my tax dollars were being used to fund settlements like that, I'm sure there are settlements that are that I would just be shocked. Yeah, yeah be sickened over. Yeah. But anyway, okay, go ahead. Okay, one next more. one. I mean. It's tough to beat a chicken sandwich, right? Mm -hmm. Like th they're good, and if you if you want one and you're like craving it and you can't have it, it's pretty disappointing. So disappointing that 
that a Tennessee man sued we out at Popeyes <laughs> of chicken sandwiches. Yeah, so disappointing that Popeyes got sued when they ran out of chicken sandwiches. And did they? How did that one turn out? It's still pending. This started in 2019. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> still pending. 2019. Two years later, we don't know the resolution and on the we, chicken and sandwich. We, and we try to warn people. Warn people. Litigation is time consuming. No, no, it isn't. Two years over a chicken sandwich. Mm-hmm. It, his claims a $5,000 claim. So, and his damages are based on the wasted time trying to buy the sandwich. If he would have known they were out, he would have been able to go somewhere else, get his chicken sandwich and get back to work. But instead wow. he wasted. The guy calculates his time at about five grand an hour. Yeah. I wonder what he does. But they'd say it's deceptive advertising when you say you have chicken sandwiches and then you don't. Maybe that's why at um, um, Krispy Kreme, there's the sign that tells you whether or not donuts are rolling off hot. If they're hot or not. They yeah. did that as an anti-litigation strategy. Like we don't want people coming in here claiming that we always have fresh donuts. Like we only have fresh donuts rolling off the line when the sign the hot lit up. sign is on. Mm -hmm. That's ingenious. So you thought it was marketing, right? I, hey, yeah, we I thought it was like, hey, it's time to come in because we got the hot ones the, where they're just like, oh, they're just money. Mm -hmm. But no, it's, it was to keep people from suing <laughs> them. That was all legal. That was all the legal department. They're the like, whoa, department. whoa, whoa. We got to have a sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it, Nathan. So no, what does this I'm have disturbed. to? I don't like any of this. I'm disturbed. <laughs> well, I'm saving. I'm saving. Maybe can, can I do just one more? Yeah, I said keep going. I don't think anybody's gonna get tired of this. Okay, this one I'm doing because it makes it real. It makes it real, real. Okay, kind of real. Mm -hmm. So. Um, trespassers right so a trespasser is someone who's going on someone else's property that is they're not supposed to be going on right trespassing mm -hmm. um they sue the property owners because they got hurt when they went on the property and so they're breaking the law mm -hmm. they're breaking the law they're going on private property and they got hurt they sue for their injuries they sue for their damages so they actually got electrocuted because there were some wires. Like dead electrocuted? Um, or just severely burned or what does it say? Is it a wrongful death claim or is nope. it an injury? They, they just got severely burned, but so they survived. So they survived. Um, they won. The plaintiffs won. And they won a total of $24.2 million dollars i don't even know what to say to that no he said the pro property owners were responsible they shouldn't have dangerous wires on their property regardless of whether or not someone's trespassing well, and that could, 
that could uh, strike fear in the heart of pretty much anybody that owns real estate. Yeah, it kind of makes you think, whoa, what do I have on my property that could be dangerous? And who's going on my property? And so this, I think the reason I really want to share this is because I think this one really segues well into what does, what do these lawsuits have to do with estate planning? Yep. Um, because there's a particular type of trust that, like any other trust, helps someone avoid probate, but it has a superpower that allows it to not only avoid probate and protect from probate issues, but also can protect assets against lunatics that bring <laughs> Losses crazies out crazy there crazy natures oh man yeah okay so first the most one of the most common misconceptions i hear people tell me about their estate planning and their trust are the fact that they think that if they were sued the assets that their trust holds are protected from lawsuits yeah and i'd go a step further there's a misconception out there that once you put something in a trust, nothing can happen to that item. Like we'll get questions about, well, we put our stuff in a trust five years ago. So that means that Medicaid can't go after that if we need long-term care. No, not unless you use the right trust. Um, I get the, hey, we just got sued, but we've had our ass a lot, most of our assets in a trust for a long time now. We're protected, right? No, not unless you've used the right kind of trust. So the answer to like, the only kind of surefire thing you're protecting against with a trust that you actually funded your property into, put property into is probate. Beyond that, it's gonna depend entirely on the type of trust you used. Mm-hmm. And I, every time I've got a question along those lines, like, Hey, is my trust going to protect me from this scenario? I say, okay, send it over. I'll look at it. No, it's just like, wow. I've never had someone say, yeah, I have an asset protection trust. And I look at it and I'm like, Oh, you're right. You do have an asset protection trust. Good job. I respond to that question a little differently. I say, almost certainly not, but you can send me the trust and I'll look at it. And then I think 100% of the time I've always gone back and said, remember when I said almost 100% not, it's now 100% not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's because the most common um, type of trust that's, that was used in estate planning to begin with was a type of revocable family living trust, which is great for avoiding probate, great for making sure your assets go to your family members, but does not protect your assets while you're living against frivolous lawsuits or valid lawsuits. One, yeah. Not only the one that was most used in the past, I'd still, I'd say that's probably still the one that's the most widely used today going forward. I think, and that would be interesting to look at, at least for our firm, right? Cause I would say at least half my clients now use some type of. Yeah. But that's because we educate we them focus on that and we educate people and we we give people that option i'm saying as a in the, the industry as a whole oh yeah the industry I'd as a be whole shocked if like 
the revocable living trust was not still the staple. Oh yeah. It's, it's still the most common in yeah. the industry. And, and the, the reason being is most attorneys don't even explain the other options. Well, They're just like attorneys don't even understand the other options. That's true. I mean, yeah. sorry, but I got to be a little bit more blunt than that. Yeah. A lot of them. I've just... seen trusts from estate planning attorneys that were designed to do things beyond avoid probate, beyond avoiding probate. And the lawyer was clearly out of their league and didn't really have any understanding of what they were doing. They just kind of took what the client told them they needed it to do and tried to draft it that way. And I've never seen one of those turn out. I've yeah, redone, I... I've redone more than I can count. I had this one, I had this one family bring me a trust once because they were trying to get VA benefits. And oh, I've got the same exact scenario. <laughs> and this trust, and then in the previous attorney just put a paragraph a sentence in the paragraph that says, "This trust uh, is designed to qualify for VA benefits." Oh my gosh! Period. And it's like, <laughs> like yeah, the VA is really. Well, I, I actually, the guy that, or the, the case I was dealing with, they actually did one better. They actually went through, they made it irrevocable. They <clears throat> tried to do a couple of things that, I mean, they clearly got on and did a little bit of reading, but they still botched it horribly. But you could see that at least he put, he put some effort into it. There was some research. Yeah. yeah and these trust, I mean, to, to do any type of asset protection trust or any type of irrevocable trust there's there's pages and pages of underlying code section regulation statutes that govern how these things should be drafted and created and for for somebody to get up to speed on that in a day is not happening right it's it takes a lot a lot yeah. of study and research and Mm -hmm. and experience to understand all the in, ins and outs. With that being said, there are a lot of fantastic um, types of asset protection trusts. And there are um, about 19 states that have actually went and enacted a statute that says, hey, if you create a trust that meets the requirements of this statute, then under state law, your assets in that trust are protected from claims of creditors. You sound so much like a lawyer right now. Enacting a statute. <laughs> no, they made a law. They made a law. <laughs> we're, we're podcasting here. We're not lecturing in uh, first year. I can't help it. Sometimes it comes out, school. Nathan. I know. I, I understand enacting a statute, but, but they made a law. Mm-hmm. And, and um, every state's a little different. Um, we're in Utah and Utah has a really great asset protection statute. We really like it. It has a lot of flexibility. It's very user-friendly for our clients. It's one of the best. It's, it's really strong. I'm not strong. just saying that because we're in Utah and because we use it, I'm actually basing that on some information that kind of compares the, the various jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So like, if you've heard anybody talk about asset protection trusts, domestic asset protection trusts, um, you probably heard Nevada, South Dakota, Alaska, maybe Wyoming, and mm -hmm. like in the last oh, 10 years or so, Utah um, has come 
has joined that kind of top tier group of jurisdictions. Those are probably the only ones that I would consider using. And and the only reason sometimes Nevada, Wyoming, um, South Dakota are more popular is because they don't have a state income tax. And so sometimes when you're setting up your trust, depending on what assets you're going to put in there and how you're going to do it, you might be able to save some state income tax if you do it a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, but we find most of our clients, the main thing that they want to protect is their house, right? Like yep. if worst case happens and someone sues me for something, I would really love the peace of mind that my home that I've been paying on for 30 years would be protected from those legal claims. Yeah. Cause I mean, <clears throat> this may be a little bit deep, but bear with me. So like Florida is not on the list of states that has an asset protection trust, mm-hmm. um, but they have an unlimited homestead exemption. Homestead exemption is the amount of money that's in your primary residence <clears throat> that's protected from creditors. It's unlimited in Florida. In Utah, I always confuse it. I don't know if it's 20,000 per person or 40,000 per person, but in either case, it doesn't matter because when you tell somebody that it's either 40 or $80,000 of their home equity that's protected from creditors, unless they do something more, nobody's happy with that response because that is an extremely low homestead exemption. Yeah. Our, our homestead exemption is really low. That's why putting something in an irrevocable trust and just relying on the homestead exemption in in Utah and most other jurisdictions is not going to cut it Mm -hmm. when it comes to protecting your house from a lawsuit. Yeah. And even in those states that have a high homestead exemption, there's, there's other accounts, right. That we want to protect savings, brokerage accounts, Mm -hmm. other properties, a recreational property or a commercial rental property, a residential rental property that, um, is not subject to the homestead exemption. Yep, exactly. So the idea with these trusts is really quite simple, right? I, anything I put into that trust um, it would be protected if someone brought a legal claim against me personally. So if if someone sues the individual and they per, and they succeed, and now they they have a judgment, is what we call it that for a certain amount of money, they they have to go collect on that judgment. And um, the statutes say that they cannot collect against what's in the trust. And we always tell everyone though, that no asset protection strategy is 100%. Like- There's nothing bulletproof, sorry. Yeah, the law anybody says- Anybody that tells you that, the, that there is, they're probably trying to sell you something and they might not be telling you the whole truth. Yeah. I mean, the law says this is how it should work, but you get the wrong judge on the wrong day with the wrong facts and you can have an outcome that's contrary to what would usually happen. So, yeah. And I mean, you said the concept is simple. It is that you, if you use the, the right type of trust drafted in the right fashion, following the laws of the state that has the um, provisions for an asset protection trust, then you get the protection, but there it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So what if I'm, what if I come in to see you, Mike, and and I'm not me. I'm just a, I'm a I'm a business owner, and I come in and I say, 
hey, uh, I know that you guys, I read on your website that you guys do asset protection trusts. I just was sued. I want to hurry and get everything in my asset protect. I want to do an asset protection trust. I'd like to do it quickly. And I want to get everything I can in there because I want to be protected against that lawsuit. Is that going to fly? Ship is sailed. Is that mm. a saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the key thing you have to set up the trust before any type of incident has occurred that could cause the claims um yeah because you could you could set it up you can right? still set it up you could give the party notice but the odds of that party not doing something about it if they have a valid claim against you um, slim to none. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a possibility, but I guess I'd say the gold standard is you do, the, I don't know how many times we say this, timing matters in it terms does. of when you do your planning. So um, don't, don't wait. If you want this type of protection, you got to do it now before something happens. I, I talked to someone once or twice a year with that scenario, Nathan. They, they've had something happened and now they want to protect their assets and we have to have the conversation that, yeah, you can, you can set up an asset protection trust now, but that prior claim is probably going to still be able to collect against the, the, the assets you put in the trust because there's some rules. The law doesn't like the idea of trying to hurry and hide your assets after someone's been harmed. And so it's, it's going to be, it's going to be frowned upon by the And there's various, there's several different ways that moving assets into that trust could be attacked and be Mm -hmm. successfully attacked, piercing the trust, proving that it was a fraudulent transfer done to evade a creditor, bona fide creditor. Mm -hmm. Those are just a couple. Okay. So let's say that I come in and I say, all right, Mike, um, I read about asset protection trusts on your website. I love this idea. I don't have any claims pending against me. I don't know of any claims. And I guess we should say that too. It's like, it's not just- Have they filed the suit? I've been sued. Do you know of any claim? Were you aware? Should you have been aware? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if there's a potential that there's something lurking and you knew about it or should have known about it, you're going to be violating the statute trying to put assets into the trust to protect them from that claim. Mm-hmm. But let's say that I come in and I'm, I'm sure, and I'm actually right that I don't have anything. Nobody's pursuing me. And I say, I want to take absolutely everything I own and put it in that trust. Cause I want asset protection for everything, everything. I want it all. Can I do that, Mike? But everything, everything, even I your socks. Socks, everything. I want it all uh, in. You can't put everything, Nathan. That's getting too greedy. Mm. So that is one thing. Like the law, I mean, each state has a little different rules, right? But generally, the concept is it's fine to put things in asset protection trust, but you can't leave yourself completely insolvent. Meaning. You need to leave. You need to leave a reasonable amount out of that asset protection trust that could cover like reasonably expected bills based on your lifestyle and your situation. So, mm-hmm. 
So what what that looks like for each person might be a little different, right? One person, it might be reasonable to put 90% because they have no bills. They have no debt. They, um, they don't have anything that would really suggest they need a lot of money in the, in their accounts. And so 90, 10 might make sense for them. Other, other people who have a lot of different things going on, maybe 50% would be appropriate for them. So. Yeah. And that's going to be a case by case thing that you're going to need to, discuss with your attorney, maybe with the accountants, um, and just, just, and understand the whole picture before you decide what you're putting in. One thing that works really well is that uh, we don't put qualified accounts into any type of trust. So um, I've had clients come in that have pretty significant amounts of money in IRAs, 401ks, thrift savings plans, those aren't going in the trust. So that gives us the freedom to put most everything else in the trust and leave the large IRA out. And that, and that IRAs are, is the, the item we can point to saying, hey, no, we were not insolvent. We had yep. these assets still available. And so yep. our asset protection trust is good. It met the yep. rules. So Nathan, I, I recommend people view an asset protection trust kind of as a kind of as a layered approach to protecting yourself. Okay. So mm-hmm. the reason that list of lawsuits had a lot of corporations on it is because people see that and say, Hey, deep pockets, right? They have money. I'm, I'm more willing to bring a lawsuit against them because I, I feel good that I'm going to get something out of it. Yes. So if, if someone is wanting to sue an individual, right. And they do a little bit of research before they bring the lawsuit. And as they're poking around, they realize, Hey, this person has an asset protection trust. Um, Obviously they wouldn't know what's in the asset protection trust or how much, but they know they have an asset protection trust. Um, It's going to give them some pause, right? Before they spend the money to have a high attorney bring a lawsuit, because if I win, is there going to be very much for me to collect against how, how hard is it going to be for me to collect? It puts some, put some doubts there. Yeah. And that's kind of where like I've done a fair amount of research just to, for some of the stuff that we put out on our website and other educational materials for the firm for asset protection. And it's always described anybody that knows what they're talking about. The main kind of gurus and commentators in this, in this industry will tell you that it's about layering different types of protection. And the concept is, and this is where we're saying nothing's bulletproof, but the, it's, it's more of a game where um, what you're trying to do is make the prospect of pursuing someone for their assets so So what I'm trying to do if I'm using an asset protection strategy is I'm trying to make um, the the prospect for somebody that's trying to get at my assets, I'm trying to make it so unattractive for them to go after my stuff that they finally just go, you know what, I'll settle for the policy limits on your insurance and I'll go away because I don't want to, I don't want to pay my lawyer or another army of lawyers because my injury lawyer isn't going to be able to go after, you know, isn't going to have very good luck 
trying to pierce your asset protection trust. I'm going to need a, a trust litigator to come in and, and do that. So I don't want to go to the trouble of hiring another lawyer to go in and try to peel the layers off of that to get down to the, the juicy stuff that you've got saved in that, that you got held in that trust. So it's, the idea is make it an unattractive prospect to go after somebody's stuff so that there's more incentive for them to take the insurance money or a lower value settlement and walk away. Yeah. So that's exactly it. So after the first step, you know, if they, you want to dissuade them from even bringing the lawsuit, if they do bring it, then you're putting a lot of pressure on them to settle because the, the journey to actually collect is going to be very difficult and challenging for them. Mm-hmm. And then the third is even if they do succeed and they get their judgment, they still have to collect on the judgment. And then they realize, oh, that's not going to happen for me. Maybe then you can renegotiate and try to settle again. And so I think it's. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So it creates a second opportunity to settle to say, mm-hmm. okay, you went, you swung for the fences and you got a huge judgment. But now I tried to tell you during the litigation that it was going to be a big deal to try to go after this. Now you've got this big fat judgment that you can't, it's like trying to squeeze blood out of a rock. And do you want to keep trying to do that? Or do you want to, do you want me to write you a check for a certain amount and and we can call it good? Call it good. Yeah. And so it gives you, it gives you a, a really good negotiation standpoint and gives you some leverage you would have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, just think about it. if all your assets are unprotected and this person's bringing a claim and they have a valid claim, they're, they're not going to settle for anything less than, you know, close to what they want. Right. Because it's all low hanging fruit. It's like, yep. Hey man, I get this judgment. I'm, I'm going to be collecting against the real estate. I'm going to be Getting, garnishing the bank accounts, mm-hmm. garnishing the wages. I'm going, I'm going to town. I'm going to get my money. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's a smart strategy to just put that protection in, especially as you acquire more assets, as you get older and you get closer to retirement. If you, if you have a substantial loss, it's, you don't have time to recover from that. It becomes more and more crucial to protect what you have. So I love it. I think it's such a brilliant way to do your estate planning because you're already going to do a trust. You already need a trust to avoid probate and everything else. Why don't, why don't you just make it a trust that will also help protect your assets? Yeah. And I mean, that's the discussion we're having with our clients is that we'll, we'll sit down, we'll show them, okay, here's kind of what you probably expected when you came in. We show them, here's how a revocable living trust works. But because we focus on this and we put a lot of emphasis on this in our practice and we do this every single day and we know what we're talking about, um, we're able to then say, but what if we went one step further? Do you like this idea? And there are some additional requirements and some additional things that need to be put in place, a little bit of additional administrative work that goes along with having this type of trust. And And I have some people that say, no, we're good. We're, we're fine with the revocable. Um, and at that, at that point, I say, well, I'm fine with you having the revocable. My biggest thing is I wanted you to understand that you had more than one option and mm-hmm. now you've made an informed decision. I have other people that say, oh my gosh, well, why would we do anything except the asset protection trust if it not only avoids probate and it also, but it also protects our assets. And my response is, 
I don't know why you would. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I do because for some people it's just not a good fit. So mm-hmm. um, there are situations where it's not a good fit and that's fine. But I think it's important to point out that you can't just walk into any firm and ask about this type of planning and expect that they're going to know what they're talking about or know what they're doing. Um, you, you have to make sure that you're working with somebody that first of all, planning is the only thing they do. Um, they're not a lawyer that'll do any work that comes through the door. They're somebody that focuses solely on estate planning, asset protection planning, long-term care planning, those types of areas in, in the planning arena. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to want to find out, you know, how many times have they used this particular type of trust, this strategy, how familiar are, are, with it are they? Um, you're going to want to find out what kind of a support system is in place if they need help after they've put the trust in place and they have questions or their kids have questions or um, they have issues come up that they, they're not sure how to solve. They, you need to you need to make sure you're working with somebody that's going to provide that support, that trusted advisor support. And then I think the last thing I'd say is that it is nearly impossible to go on the internet and, you know, put asset protection trust into a search engine and get solid reliable. It's not and reliable I've information people where we've had the discussion in a meeting and they're all good. And then they leave and they talk to three of their friends. They talk to their accountant and they come back to me with 25 questions, none of which have any bearing on what we talked about, but they're all things that people have heard about. Oh, that ticket, what you're doing, what you're using an ear, you're using an irrevocable trust. And, and so there's like 20 to 30 types of irrevocable trusts in the minimum. way. And, um, and so they're like, people are saying, people are looking at their planning. And they're like, Oh, I, I, the trust can't do this. And you're like, what? No, yeah. that's not the, it's yeah. not the kind of trust so you're doing. I have to say to those folks, the people you're talking to, they're familiar with a certain type of irrevocable trust and none other. They only think there's one type. Um, they think that the same rules for one type of irrevocable trust apply to all irrevocable trusts. An asset protection trust is a type of an irrevocable trust, but it's one that has a grundle of flexibility built into it that's not present in other types of irrevocable trust. And you're just flat out going to have a very difficult time, if not an impossible time, trying to find an article that um, accurately portrays what, what the statutes, sorry, the laws, I got on you for using the word statute or um, you're going to have a hard time finding an article that outlines how the laws work, how the trusts need to be set up, how they work, the um, tax implications, the which, which are, in the case of the Utah Domestic Asset, Asset Protection Trust, not a big deal, and they have to be handled right. But and that have a very hard time. And that's what a lot of people mix up. Like there's there's some irrevocable trusts that are used to avoid estate tax and and people mix the rules up for those for with asset protection trusts all the time. Yeah, and in that conversation that I'm referring to, every question that he 
put to me that was from somebody else that he talked to. The issue was a, around a concern that related to an irrevocable trust that was used to avoid estate taxes. And that's not what we're doing with this particular trust. It could be done for that, but that's well, not sure, the common but, thing, But right? in this case, it wasn't. Yeah, you can do an asset protection trust that also deals with other things. You can combine, that's the cool thing about trust. Like you can have one type of trust that solves 10 different issues for you. And so that trust itself is a one of a kind trust. Absolutely. And we do that fairly regularly. Yeah, all the time. One of a one of a kind. In fact, that's our approach. What's your goal? You get cookie cutter, you know, Mm -hmm. cookie cutter trusts for the most part are not going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. They don't work well. So one other thing too, before we wrap it up is if you are in one of the states that do not have laws mm-hmm. that allow for an asset protection trust, doesn't mean that's off the table for you. Um, there's been, there's a long line of court cases that have outlined, you know, what a court requires from a trust to receive protection under mm-hmm. case law. And so sometimes those are options. Those sometimes are harder though, because they're not as flexible. They're not as user-friendly. Also, if you're trying to protect an asset that's not real estate, right? You have a big brokerage account, maybe. Um, Then you have, you can, you can forum shop, right? You can, you can look at different jurisdictions and say, Hey, I like, I like uh, Nevada's rules. I think my asset protection trust should be a Nevada asset protection trust. Um, or I like one of the other states. So mm-hmm. you're not just, if yeah, you're you don't in, have to use this, the statute or the, you don't have to use the trust of the state you live in. Mm-hmm. You're not limited to that. You're not. So it's worth, it's worth um, exploring regardless of what state you're in. And, and that will impact a little bit, some of your options, but you still have options. So, so I feel like I have this drum that I beat in every podcast and I feel like it's time for me to beat on that drum and it's okay. <laughs> and maybe we'll get to a point with this podcast that we can just say okay you know the drum we're beating on it but the drum is it matters who you work with it matters when you do your planning it matters that you understand what you're doing with your planning it matters that you're working with an attorney that is going to provide a trusted advisor relationship and be there when questions arise, all of those things matter. If you don't pay attention to those things, um, I'd say there's going to be instances where it's not even worth bothering to go down this road. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crucial. You have a good planning partner to, mm-hmm. and that, that it's, it's, it's really a relationship that makes a difference. And that's why we, Bring it up almost every episode, Nathan. Mm -hmm. So I got, can I, I want to share just one more lawsuit. You're back to your list. (laughs) Well, I'm game. I mean, I I could listen to these all day. I I end up like holding my face in my hands in (laughs) just in horror that these are real, but yeah, let's do it. Now we've all had that time. I'm laughing and I don't even know why. <laughs> we've all had that time where, you know, we, we watch the weather report and we're like, oh, perfect. It's going to be a nice day. And we leave the house without our rain jacket or our umbrella or our coat. 
I remember walking home in a blizzard one day because I and I was in shorts. I'm like, what the heck happened? Right. I just want to I just want to point out here. I have no idea what he is about to say, but I'm laughing <laughs> because of the way he's saying it. The look on his face as he's saying it. And like, I just know this is going to be insane. So go ahead. Well, I just think back to that day I walked home <laughs> over a mile and a half in a blizzard in my shorts and like I feel like someone should be responsible for that, right? It was it was supposed to be sunny. It was, it was going to be a nice day. Well, you can sue for that, Nathan. <laughs> this woman oh, <laughs> This woman geez. sued the weatherman for a false weather report. Gosh. And it was dismissed immediately. Please tell me. It was settled out of court, Nathan. <laughs> what do you mean dismissed? <laughs> he totally punked her. That is unbelievable. I mean, she got caught in a rainstorm and took ill. <laughs> she took ill. Is that what it says? Or do you yeah. talk like that? <laughs> no, that's what it says. <laughs> you sound British. She missed work. Caught in a rainstorm and took ill. She missed she work. Took ill. Oh my word. She argued. Yeah, no, nobody sues for anything, anytime she ever. She argued that the forecast was legally binding. <laughs> was this in the United States? This this one was in Israel. So. Gosh, you gotta tell me that. That matters. Like. <laughs> I mean, There's I have all... certain expectations of our judiciary in this country. I was going to tell you. I was going to Having tell done you. this for almost two decades now, and when you tell me that, that just makes me, I mean, my first instinct was, please tell me that was not in the United States. I think there's only like one or two on my list that were okay, not in the good. United States. Which oh, is, that we're not. That we're not. Most oh. of the, almost all of these have been in, all except for the, Ugly baby one. I <laughs> can't even say it without laughing. The ugly baby and the took ill from a bad weather report. Yeah. She took ill. She got a thousand dollars in an apology. Wow. That was the settlement. So. Weather forecasting, it's a dangerous business. <laughs> I mean, I got caught in a blizzard. Mine has to be I mean, worth. You, I was going to say you Ten, totally. Ten thousand. want to talk about they punked her. You punked yourself by not lawyering up and suing whoever was the weatherman at that juncture. I know. At that I, point in time. I need to. I need to be more diligent about. You know, you got to bring in lawsuits. Think, we have to be more creative. Like, <laughs> just as you lay down at night, go through and go through what happened today. Did anything bad happen? Okay, that was kind of bad. Is there anybody I can blame for that? No, better yet, is there anybody I can sue for that? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I mean, yeah. that, uh, you know, there, you I, know, I, people, I, you know, I, are I, punching the punching bag, you know, visualizing that person that hurt or offended them, and that's not cut. That's not going to cut it. You just need to sue them. Don't go to the basement and, and get on the speed bag and work them over and pretend it's their face and work them over. Call a yeah. lawyer and say, I have a claim that I would like to bring <laughs> against my date last night. She texted the whole time. 
Oh, well, we're happy to take that on, sir. We'll draft that right up for you. Oh, It'll be filed in the morning. Okay, so um, lawsuits are real. So is asset protection planning. We highly encourage you to investigate how you can protect yourself from these lunatics in the world. I think Good we're job, done. Nathan. I think we're done here. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you. You've been listening to Legacy Lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.